there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account, and let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and review or share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in to Season 2 of Living the Sky Life. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. I am really excited to have a guest on today who is a fellow author and fellow blogger who I have already learned a lot from just in communications that we've had and reading all of her writing. Uh, I definitely aspire to write my blogs as well as she does. Um, So a little bit about the guest. Um, Her name is Carrie Cariello, for those of you that have not heard of her. Um, She is the author of two books, the first being What Color is Monday? How Autism Changed One Family for the Better, and the other is Someone I'm With Has Autism. Carrie lives in southern New Hampshire with her husband Joe and their five children. Many of Carrie's writings have been published on Huffington Post, Today Parents, The Today Show, Parents.com. She was also interviewed by NBC Nightly News, and she's done a TEDx talk where she lives in New Hampshire. Carrie often speaks about autism, marriage, and motherhood, and her weekly blog can be found at carriecariello.com. One of her essays, I Know What Causes Autism, was featured as one of the Huffington Post's best of 2015. So we get into all the things about writing, all the things about our autism journeys, um, and we talk about her son, Jack, who is now 16, and some of the things that we've both experienced with now having teenagers on the spectrum. So and please enjoy my conversation with Carrie Cariello. So my guest today on the podcast is Carrie Cariello. I'm so excited to talk to you. There's a lot of questions I have, and um, I've read so much of your writing. So thank you for being a guest today. I appreciate it. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, I'm always intrigued when I find parents with kids, they're not really kids anymore, young adults, the similar age to my son. Um, our experiences are probably similar when we were diagnosed. There were, weren't many resources and many people to talk to um, about autism in general. So um, I kind of want to go back a little bit. Um, I know that Jack is 16, right? Is he almost 17? He'll be 17 in May. Yes. Oh my gosh. It goes yeah, so fast. It's mind-blowing. <laughs> you had said in one of your blogs, um, back years ago that he was diagnosed at 18 months. Mm-hmm. Was there something specific about his development? I know he's your second of five children. So was there something that was different about him than his older brother, uh, as far as development goes? Yeah, we had some red flags really early on. Now my two, my, my first two kids are 13 months apart, which is, um, is a blessing, I think, in disguise, because I could say, well, last year, Jody was like, you know, playing patty cake or putting our shoes on and shuffling around or doing all these like interactive games. And um, that never really came to be for Jack. I would say one of the first things is he, he really never slept, just never, never slept. And he never seemed comfortable in his own body. He was always like in distress and kind of squirming. And um, he had terrible respiratory issues. He was diagnosed with, um, oh my gosh, 
you know, when you, when it, when the milk sort of comes up through your nose, what am I like doing? Re- reflux, reflux or reflux. Yeah, uh-huh. he was diagnosed with reflux very early on. And then we had his adenoids out and tubes in his ears. So he certainly endured a lot in his first year. I would say for me, I mean, I have some really crystal moments in my mind um, that I'll remember forever. I had my third son um, and he and Jack are about a year and a half apart. And I remember I stayed in the hospital for a day or two with the new baby. And when I came home, he walked by me like he hadn't even registered. I was in the room. It was like I was a lamp. And I remember like a sinking feeling like he just doesn't connect to us at all. You know, man. And then the, the other piece of it, w- which really launched the whole process was I'm, he couldn't manage food. I mean, he was hungry. He was a great big chunk of a baby. And we started solid food at the right time. And he simply couldn't manage to get it from the front of his mouth to the back of his mouth. And it was such a frustrating experience for everybody involved. And that, that when I brought that up to the pediatrician was when she said, okay, I think it's time for some early intervention. So that kind of got the ball rolling. Did they do, what did they do for that? Is that a speech therapy thing, like manipulating the mouth and, and the eating or what kind we, of therapist? We started with speech and then a little bit of OT and we had like a special ed teacher that came to the house. And I, yeah, we just worked on sort of smaller pieces of food and things that were really pureed to kind of like build that muscle memory of how to manipulate his mouth. And um, he was a thumb sucker too. And I think that probably complicated things a little bit, but eventually he did get over that. He's a very hearty eater now. That is not mm-hmm. our issue anymore. <laughs> He's definitely tall. He, I'm sure he comes by it. Honestly, your family seems to be a tall group of people. <laughs> We're pretty tall. You know, my father's six, five and my brother's six, five. Oh, and so uh, my husband's six foot. He appears taller than he really is. <laughs> yeah, we're tall people. Um, Jack's just about six four, I would say. Gosh, I was just glad to get over five feet because oh, my, <laughs> my yeah. family are really short. <laughs> so I like to be short. I wish I was short. So did Jack have colic then? If he had, you know, early reflux and things like that, and he didn't sleep, what did he cry a lot too, or just it was just he was uncomfortable just in general? No, he screamed all the time, <laughs> but. I, they never said colic. I, none of my kids were ever diagnosed with colic. They were really, I remember we went to the ear, nose and throat doctor. Now we were living in Buffalo, New York at the time. And they had this little camera that they put up. And Jack was like, oh, I don't know, six months old, I want to say. Oh. They put it up his nose to see the way the milk would course up through his stomach. And it was shocking to see like how much heartburn he probably suffered. So he hated to sleep on his back, which... I don't know if the movement's the same. I don't have babies, but back then it was back to sleep. You didn't put anybody on their stomach. But if I held him and he was on his stomach, he was just so much more comfortable. So you probably lost a lot of sleep early. (laughs) It only progressed probably after that. Oh, sleep deprivation is a real thing. (laughs) So yeah, Skylar never had those issues early on. He had his adenoids removed, never had tubes, but it's only later in like his 12, 13 year old, age that we had to do a lot of barium swallows because he was choking a lot we called it choking because he would we cut the food tiny tiny pieces and it seemed like he didn't chew he just inhaled he swallowed everything and wouldn't even chew the you know tiny pieces that we made so he we thought maybe there was something wrong and they every barium swallow came out you know fine but he ended up having esophageal disease 
So uh, for all these years, yeah. And so the food would just get stuck and then it would spend two hours coughing up phlegm and like, cause he didn't know how to regurgitate. So right. he, it was, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. Is that something you can like, how do they heal that or? Yeah. Do... Steroids. And, um, he had ulcers when we had him scoped from the top to the bottom. Um, he had, that's when we figured out his ulcerative colitis diagnosis too. He had ulcers from his throat all the way down to his bottom, oh. everywhere in between. And the oh. doctor said, you know, there's no way you could have known. It's just as a mother, it pains you that it's been building and his, it's ironically his, you can um, collaborate his like banging and aggression as he aged, it got worse instead of better, no matter what we did, because the ulcers were becoming larger and larger and more painful. So, it's you know, so <laughs> it's just so another thing, thing that we don't I know. Do. So. When you have a kiddo, I mean, Jack's verbal, but there's an extent to his expressive language. And um, back when he was in fourth grade, we didn't realize he, he's like legally blind in one eye. He doesn't see out of it at all. It was such a lazy eye that went untreated past the cusp of when you can really start to solve the problem. And we had no idea because it, we go to the eye doctors, he would fool around and run out of the chair and we just thought mm -hmm. whatever. So I, I feel your pain deeply. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, another analogy that you've used, and I know you're queen of metaphors and um, in your writing, I, I love it because for people that don't experience this life or even people that do, we can relate to you and, and others can understand better some of the scenarios that we live because of your metaphors and your analogies. But um, in one of your blogs, you mentioned that autism is like sitting down for a test that you prepared for in one subject and then they hand you the test and it's in a completely different subject and you have to relearn. And it reminded me of the Welcome to Holland poem by Emily Kingsley. I mean, that is such a great depiction of what our lives are like. Are there certain things that stand out to you that you had to completely redo how you parented Jack versus how you've parented your other four children? And, you know, you had to start from scratch basically with no resources back in the day. <laughs> so hundred percent. I mean, I'm a pretty fast talker. I tend to think quickly and I speak quickly and I had to really relearn the way I communicated with him. He's not somebody you can just, you know, throw a lot of words at and expect him to filter through them and then do what you've asked him to do. So I've really relearned the whole way that I communicate with my family in general um, and learning to make everything visual. A fantastic counselor once told me that when it comes to Jack, you have to make the overt or the covert overt. So things that seem nuanced and vague, you have to bring them out into the light as boldly as you can. So I do that with everything. We, my youngest son now is struggling a little bit with jealousy. He has, you know, some stuff we're addressing. So we name it, we create it, you know, jealousy is a purple monster that lives inside of you. Mm -hmm. Your stimming is like, like tiny ant feet on your, on your arms and legs. And I, I feel like that's one of the things that's helped us create pathways creatively so that Jack can uh, begin to integrate a little bit more with us. Yeah. And I'm sure siblings have learned just by watching you and your husband, like communicate with, with Jack also, um, and not, you know, I mean, they just probably make allowances for him for some things. I mean, kids, kids learn and they're so empathetic. <laughs> they just understand. Um, but I can imagine that's a little bit of a challenge when, you know, they just probably get frustrated because. Yeah. 
you know, the third thing that calls to mind, what, what did I learn is I just had to relearn a new timeline that we, and, and I've just recently begun to start communicating that to Jack, especially because driving a car is something that's important to him, but not really pragmatic right now. And, um, we're not on our own timeline. We are on autism's timeline and that is no one's fault at all. So is that something that you think with proper preparation and whenever the time comes, do you think that's something he'll be able to accomplish? Yeah, I'm, people ask me that a lot, especially in our family. And, and I just say that Jack I know today could not get behind the wheel of a car. Um, Jack at 25 could look a lot different. And, yep. and you know, so I never say never for anything. It's such sure. a balance, right? Because hope is so beautiful mm -hmm. to hold in our hearts, but it can be very deceptive. And I don't want to grant, give him that and year after year have it be like, wow, not, we're just not ready yet. Yeah. So in our area, there's a, um, a hospital that has a simulator that you can go sit in. That's and they, cool. Yeah, we had scheduled it right before COVID and then it sort of fell apart, but that's kind of on, in the back of our minds to have him go try. And then at least we can really narrow down what the challenges are. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like as a mom, I have a sense of what they are. Um, driving around as if Jack, it, 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 through Jack's eyes, you know, and thinking about a detour and him having to make those quick changes. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of four-way stop signs in our area. <clears throat> and that's when you realize how nonverbal our communication is as a culture, because you know, you want, if I want you to go, I just raise my chin. It's very subtle. And mm -hmm. those are the cues he'll miss yeah. at Jack as he is now. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think, you know, just your comment about um, the timelines and just the age, like when age appropriate um, rites of passage come up for our kids, I have tried so hard over the years. Early on, that stuff used to bother me. And now, it bothers me, but I only think of it when my daughter is doing it. And she's um, two years younger than my son. So she, she'll be 16 in May. So she's already has a permit and she's doing all those things. So I'm sad when I go with her to the licensed branch and she takes her test and gets her permit because I'm like, oh man, I should have already done this. Like I should be giving you advice. This is what your brother did. This is what you need to do. Um, but then I let it go because I don't want to ruin her experience by tainting it with, well, I wish your brother could have done this with you or whatever. Does that make sense? I mean, do you go through that with, I mean, all of your kids too? It's been such a great opportunity to discover that you can feel more than one thing at a time mm -hmm. and, uh, and sit with that and think, I wish this for this, but I'm grateful for this. Mm -hmm. And what you describe in our house, we call leapfrogging when the younger sibling begins to leapfrog over Jack. That's and cool. <laughs> yes. Emotionally, it's, pretty much happened for all of them but I know next year my third son will be ready to drive in November <clears throat> and I said to Jack how's that gonna feel if Charlie gets his license before you he said I will be jealous but I just said listen we will get you where you want to go everybody you know we are we have a driver now and and uh so you know sometimes Jack woke them up on a Sunday morning at like 7 a.m his oldest brother I want to go to Dunkin Donuts <laughs> Joey was really chill about it, you know, got up and took him in the whole thing. And I said, this is what we have to remember. He wants to do these things for himself, but he can't. So we have to stretch ourselves uh -huh. even when it's not convenient. But how fantastic is it that he identifies with his feelings? I mean, that is huge in itself that he's able to say, I'm going to be jealous and to really understand what that feels like. 
to be happy for his sibling, but to understand that his feelings are okay. And it's okay to be jealous and covet some things sometimes that you aren't able to do at that moment. You know, I attribute so much to the, um, the school he goes to that kind of progress because he goes to a much smaller program in the town next to ours. And uh, for a while, I don't think they do this anymore, but when he first started, you went in and the first thing you did was identified how you felt that day. They had a big magnet board with a lot of like, I feel worried or I feel happy or calm or whatever. And I think it really in that smaller environment helped him get in touch with the different parts of himself. That's cool. That's such a hard part of autism is even for the, for the uh, kids who are seemingly verbal and, you know, can speak quite easily, they can't always associate social cues and feelings and have a conversation about how they're feeling instead of just using, you know, just blanket words and statements. So that, that's cool. Did they have them when they identified how they were feeling that day, explain maybe some, some background to that? Because I, yes. I think what they noticed, and, and it happened a lot in public school too, is these kids come in at a 10 a lot of times, and then they're expected to sit down and learn. That's a big phrase we use around here because we're very big personalities. Not everything has to be a 10. <laughs> yep. <laughs> sometimes. But I think they noticed Jack came off that bus hot a lot of times, and they needed a little bit of backstory. And it was a great way to him to, to sort of transition and integrate into his day. But I do think that's the beginning of when he started to identify different emotions that if you spend time with Jack, you almost think, oh, his emotional pendulum doesn't really swing that wide. You know, he sort of stays in the middle, right? He's not joyous by any means. He can get very angry, but that's less and less so now. But he's starting to really notice all these other sensations. I did it. Um, We work a lot about feelings and choices surrounding feelings. And and I've done some research and somebody really great was explaining to me, which I think is so true. You know, we don't choose our feelings. They they travel through our nervous system faster than thought does. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so brilliant. So we created in our house, like, here's your feeling and here's your reaction. And we actually have a drawing of it. And here's your choice bubble in between the two. So the goal is to have your choice bubble be as big as possible, like a beach ball, not like a ping pong ball. So you have to fill it up. What can I do in the moment when I have a bad feeling that comes to me? Can I take a walk, have a glass of water, jump around? You know, they all have sort of their different solutions, but um, working with Jack to find his perfect regulation and to find his tap into that expressiveness has just been a great way for us to kind of, you know, do it for everybody in the house. Yeah, well, and it's such a, um, again, an an interesting picture in my mind when you say that, because it seems like the autistic mind for for the majority of people is that delay in the thoughts and the mind. Like, you know, the example I always use to try to explain to people is that if he touched a hot stove, it, it would take so, he would burn terribly because it would take so long for his body to go, okay, something just happened that made me uncomfortable. I'm not really sure. I mean, there's such a long process to to where his brain finally says, oh, that's hot. Don't touch that. So he would have third degree burns on his hand because, Mm -hmm. you know, it just, the connection's not there. And and when we would spell with him and do different activities with him to try to get him to communicate, our therapist always explains to us too, that he can't control his body. Like there is a huge disconnect. So if he reaches over and hits me while he's, you know, in the middle of spelling a word, 
she's like, you know, please just don't take it personally. He doesn't mean to do that. You know, someday he'll explain to you that he didn't mean it. You know, he's yeah. sorry, but he just, he cannot, he is so distracted by his body firing. And so when we tell him to do things, we explain, move your body, turn your body towards me, walk this way, lift your legs. And we have to explain and break down every single step of the process when we're trying to get him to do something, if that makes sense. Fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. I don't think I could tell somebody how to walk. (laughs) I know. I mean, you think about all the things we learn just naturally from our environment and just, we just come by it, you know, just from being around other people and we observe. And for these kids, a lot of times we have to walk them through every single step of lifting a fork and raising it to your mouth. And then you do this and then you scoop it up again. I mean, it's exhausting, but once I realized that's how he processes feelings, anything, um, you know, it's helped a lot to, for me to calm down and be a little more patient. Cause <laughs> you know, I'm in a hurry too. I'm on 10 always. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And I think they, well, I can't speak for everybody, but Jack completely lacks intuition. He lacks intuition in conversation, which can be t- very tiring. Mm-hmm. He lacks intuition about other people's energy. Um, one thing I've realized I cannot teach him, I don't think it's teachable, is to relax. relax <laughs> yeah. your body. You know, we do it all. I'm big into yoga. We do all the breathing, but I cannot get him lowered. Um, somebody once said to me, which was so brilliant, is kids like Jack read the regulatory, the, the energy in the room. So if we're a 10, he's higher and he doesn't know how to bring himself yep. down until we bring ourselves down. Yep. So that's a lot of pressure for me to, if somebody's using themselves to emotionally regulate based on me, I'm not a good choice. <laughs> so. Yes. I am right there with you. That's the same thing again with us and the spelling. I mean, I can only be hit and have my hair pulled so many times in oh, a row I and, and I'm like, you hair. need to point your finger and use your eyes. And my therapist always says, she smiles at me and I'm like, please, could you please <laughs> look at the board? Because I, I mean, a person can only take so much, you know? Yeah. I don't like my space invaded and I do not like my hair even touched. So I, I applaud you for your patience. <laughs> well, today when we spelled, I put a uh, snow cap on, I had my hair pulled up in a ponytail and then I started covering my head because, and it was remarkably, he did so well this morning spelling because he wasn't distracted by my hair. Cause it, it oh. definitely, bothers him. I mean, he looks at it and he, he can't help himself. He wants to touch it. It's so I'm triggers. like, all right, well, I'll remove this variable. <laughs> or you could just cut a lock of it off and give it to him. Too. Yeah. I've tried that over the years. <laughs> Floss and thread. I've tried everything. Not sure. He wants it straight from the root. <laughs> so. You should invest in some helmets. <laughs> I know. I know. I always tell my daughter to put her hoodie up, like, cause she wears hoodies all the time. I'm like, just put your hoodie up, help yourself. You know, don't right. yell at him. Right. You're flaunting in front of them. <laughs> so, oh, geez. So, um, could you explain a little bit more about his school? That's so intriguing to me that, um, that you have the opportunity to send him somewhere like that. That's a smaller size. It, is it standard, um, curriculum type stuff or is it therapy stuff or a combination? So we're in New Hampshire and in sixth grade, Jack completely fell apart. puberty and the landscape of middle school and all of the social demands and he became um, aggressive and it was really a problem and so after a lot of meetings and and things they referred us out of district which is 
pretty difficult to get because it's very costly to the school and they, they want to do their best by him. So that was in sixth grade. Um, and we found this school that only takes out of district referrals. And yeah, it's a great program. It's a, at that point, we'd had a, a huge neuropsych test done on Jack and it just uncovered so many deficiencies that somehow he'd created the coping skills to cover. You know, his, so he was in sixth grade, he was reading really at like a second grade level. His mm -hmm. word retrieval was really low. His comprehension was very low. The, the um, evaluator said, imagine it, you, um, you're in a place where everybody speaks French, but you only know two or three words of it. So you're grasping onto the two things you can grab and trying to piece it together. So once we saw that, we realized, wow, he's so behind academically. Let's get him into a place that's smaller where he can kind of cocoon mm -hmm. and begin to heal a little bit because it was really traumatic for him. I mean, he was like throwing computers and just oh, really out of whack. It's not consistent with who he is. His temperament is actually pretty gentle. So we started there for seventh grade and it was really like they just eased him in. Like, how do you feel today? How does your body feel today? And then slowly began to layer back on the academics. Now, so he's a junior in high school now. I wouldn't say he's academically at age, but they're, they're working pretty hard with him. Um, he's working through algebra. Um, he nice. read, they, what did they just read? Something that I can't think of it. It'll come to me, but um, they just read a book that I thought was like pretty advanced. I don't know how much he took from, oh, The Great Gatsby. You read The okay. Great Gatsby. Wow, yeah. That's, um, and there's, I think, eight kids in the program at this point and five teachers that like sort of circulate in and out of the rooms. And, and yes, he still gets OT, PT and meets with a counselor there twice a week. That's phenomenal. Are they, is every one of the eight kids on the spectrum of some degree or are that's there other impression. disabilities? And that's my impression. Jack doesn't seem to know. He doesn't, this is so <laughs> fascinating. He doesn't identify with those people at all. He's not as bad as they are. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't uh, have their kind of autism. Okay. So another great thing they do is a lot of life skill stuff. We do that a lot here at home anyway, but, um, they have a kitchen. So pre-COVID, they have a van. They would go to the grocery store with a budget and buy things to make recipes. Um, they do a lot of like just how to budget money and financially speaking, how to sign a check. Mm -hmm. Now, Jack does work a couple hours a week. And he has, I said this last night on our live, he said he has a debit card and an account and all that. So I'm always like, well, come on, we're going to Dunkin' Donuts. Why don't you bring your wallet? He's like, your money. <laughs> I know. Heck yeah. I'd use your money too. <laughs> so they have, it's very, it's a very comprehensive look at what his life could be. Yeah. You know, constantly preparing him for the future. So I do rest easy. It was a huge weight off of my shoulders as much as I loved our public school. And I was really desperate to have him stay in it. Cause when you have other kids, you think, but they're all just going to do the same thing and they'll have the same teachers. And, and I had to really part ways with that daydream. Yeah. But now school's totally off my shoulders for him. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> Well, that's great. I mean, it teaches them independence, obviously, because that's what we all want for our kids is to have some form of, you know, independence. Um, but also it's neat because I think like you, I would have had some reservations that maybe um, Jack would have been taught at the lowest level of person, you know, I mean, because you kind of can't really 
do algebra with kids who are still trying to figure out basic addition and subtraction. So you would hate your child to be held back and lost in a shuffle, but it doesn't sound, it sounds like it's more individualized and they are it's able to accommodate him. And, and I think, um, we worried about behaviors, you know, you, you we liked him mainstreamed. Sure. And we were, we didn't know what the other kids were like, but we've never seen any kind of uptick in, you know, stimming and I, he's really held his own there. So, and he feels kind of important there, I think. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> light up a little bit. And so, oh, well, that's cool. And so, um, in talking about some of the things he enjoys and, um, some of the life skills and stuff, I know you've said he's quite the baker. He loves to, to bake cakes and, and I know last night he was making what Pepsi wings or something. Yeah, that was he does that every Super Bowl. He's How did that turn out? <laughs> no, I didn't sounds kind of bad. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> I'm not a big wing fan, even though we lived yeah. in Buffalo. I thought they were root beer wings. I I don't know. And then when he discovered that that's what I was calling them, he was pretty outraged. So they were Coca Cola <laughs> wings, and he oh, see, I even got the wrong pop. Okay, them, and it's a long. So anything that has a process attached to it it lights him up inside. Okay. I have to turn these wings every half an hour in light and start. And meanwhile, I'm trying to do this live last night and he's got this <laughs> timer dinging and he turns each one. He's methodical that way. That's the kind of um, learner. And that's how he executes best. He did that. And then he did rice, uh, cocoa crispy football cookies. I saw that in an ad somewhere. Yeah. That's cool. Yes. That fell apart a little bit because I would never call him a perfectionist, but he cuts out the picture of what it's going to look like. And we all know it doesn't look that way coming out of our kitchen, you know, interest fail. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a Ziploc bag, like blobbing the frosting on for the laces. And then he, this is the first time I heard him really, really negative self-talk. He said, stupid me, Aww. stupid me, I can't make it look the same. And so that was, you know, Rose kind of puffed him up a bit, how delicious they were and all of that. But yeah, he, he's, he knows his way around the kitchen. I don't have to worry about it at all. You think it's the recipes? So the meticulous nature of following a recipe to a tea that he enjoys about baking and, um, and being in the kitchen? I do, which surprises me because one of his largest challenges is he has very little working memory. So it's hard for him to hold on to like data or measurements or ingredients and and work at the same time so it's very tedious work for him and if, if you were to watch him he goes back and rechecks the thing and then he'll pour an egg in or whatever and rechecks again uh but there's something about it that appeals to him and and he does love food but i don't even think that's i don't think the outcome is what drives the activity it's not like he eats a whole cake or something mm -hmm. you know does he let anyone help him does, does he get upset Rose. if you were to come in and like measure, help pre-measure stuff for him? So would he get mad? No, he wouldn't get mad. He lets Rose help that. That's sort of their, their activity together is to find something to bake or he's much more of a baker than a cook. But, uh, but a lot of times pre-COVID, I was going to yoga at like five at night. It was just a great way to kind of end my day. So I would get dinner all set up and then he would have to finish it because he'd usually be he wouldn't be home alone, but he'd be one of the only kids that like had time on their hands. So he's, he's very good at that kind of thing. Well, that's good. Well, yeah. you, um, you know, you mentioned yoga. Is that something that you've always done for self-care? I mean, I can't imagine I'm overwhelmed with two kids, but 
<laughs> to have a house full and then, you know, autism on top of it. And then just to try to find time for yourself to rejuvenate. I know we're better, better parents when we get a, a break. Um, yeah. So I know you like to read and I know you enjoy yoga. Has that always been the case? It has been always been the case. I'm, I'm thinking back. I remember um, kind of the jumping off point to, to writing creatively at Jack, for Jack, about Jack was when I ran, and it was only one time and I'll never do it again, but I ran the Boston Marathon for the Doug Flutie Foundation. And, um, and I had a really great experience there. And that sort of got me thinking about sharing Jack with the world. So movement's always been a big part of my life, yes. Yoga, I came upon probably 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and I'm, and I'm really deeply committed to it. Um, I say a lot to moms, now my kids are older too, right? So mm -hmm. they're, they're pretty like, it was hard in the beginning getting sitters and you know, I wanna go to yoga, can you be here and all of that. It was, it was an effort, but I was willing to put it into it, that. Mm -hmm. So now I talk a lot about just finding what gives you some joy, gives you some space and protect it to, like your life depends on it. It's yeah. too easy to be like, well, I, you know, he needed me or whatever. And mm -hmm. I, I, that's not me. I am, um, there's a great book by Gretchen Rubin called The Four Tendencies of Personality. Mm -hmm. It talks about how we respond to outer expectations versus inner expectations. And she has four different classifications. I respond to my inner expectations before outer. It's just how I'm wired. So what comes like easily to me, like protecting my space doesn't come as easily. Like my husband, he needs external accountability in order to like do what he's supposed to do. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's really interesting, especially in a marriage. Um, if you both operate a little bit differently, I kind of think I'm a mixture of both. I would say um, I schedule things in my calendar. If it's in writing, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. So I work out first thing in the morning, every morning um, and, um, you know, run whatever I can do to get it done. Because by the end of the day, I am tired and I know that I'll say I'm just too tired. Yeah. I just don't have the energy to do it. So I hold myself accountable by scheduling it but it is hard. It is definitely hard not to feel guilt for taking any time to yourself. We're crazy if we don't <laughs> allow that for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just so much better for it. I mean, I would be like an animal if I didn't have that space. And also I stay home, you know, I'm a, I'm a housewife, right? So some of that time pre-COVID was like my social time too. And, and to get to know these communities of people, whether it's the runners, or I still run quite a bit, or yoga, it was really meaningful to me. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Well, since you uh, have all this time on your hands, ha, ha, right? <laughs> You've always been a writer too, it seems like, or at least have you always been a writer? Because I know that you started blogging, what, nine years ago? Um, and you've written two books, What Color is Monday?, how autism changed our family for the better and someone I'm with has autism, which are excellent books. Um, so what prompted all of that? Have you always been a writer and why did you want to share your personal family story about Jack and autism and, and all of that? So I was not always a writer, but I was always a reader since I was a child. I, I read everything. And uh, I always say, I don't think you can write unless you read. I mean, maybe somebody mm -hmm. else has that magic formula. I don't, I certainly couldn't. Um, I had a really specific experience with Jack that 
prompted me to, to say, I really want to make this bigger and I'll try to keep it short. We were basically, we, we took the kids to this water park up in Northern New Hampshire and we had been there before. And then every time we spend the day at the water park and then we go back to this hotel and stay with the five kids, which is, was like madness. And so at the time, Jack was about six and he was terrified of dogs. So afraid that I worried if he saw one like walking down our street, he would run into the road and get hit by a car. Like his reaction was so visceral and so extreme. So I'm walking in with all five kids. Now they are seven, six, five, like three and two at the time. I don't even know. And Joe has getting the bags because that's what the guys do. They go get bags. So I walk in with the kids and there's a dog in the uh, middle of the lobby because in the year since we'd been there, it became a dog friendly hotel. So the kids are already like, oh mom, the dog, the dog, the dog. And I was like, right, let's just take a breath and see what Jack does. So Jack started to circle the room and he used to trace the walls with his fingertips. And I said to the gentleman who had the dog, you know, um, it's my son, he has autism. And I, I'm just like kind of curious how this is all gonna go. And it was a really powerful moment because the man said, well, my dog's name is Gracie and we'll just stay right here. We're gonna stay right in the center of the room. And so Jack was circling and he just kept circling closer. And the man just started to call out to him and say, Jack, we're here for you. Gracie and I are here, we're waiting for you. Aww. And Jack just started to circle because it still makes me emotional. Oh, closer and closer. And he reached out and touched the man's hair. And then he reached out and touched the dog. And Joe came in like in the middle of this, like what else going on? (laughs) And I remember taking the the elevator up to our room and thinking like that was so inspiring. And I want people to understand um, the lengths others go to to bridge the gap between Jack and themselves and how moving and beautiful it was. And that sort of was my jumping off point. And then um, a couple months later, there was an article in our local paper saying that a, um, a publisher in town wanted to start publishing like nonfiction work. And mm-hmm. so I just, we just started chatting about it. And, and, and that's how What Color Is Monday was born. It is, um, you know, when I, I published my book, my memoir in June of last year during COVID. Awesome. <laughs> and um, we were I all think, reading. It's a good time, actually. I know, <laughs> right? Everyone was home. Um, you know, I think for me, I feel like it, it's kind of two sides. I, I, I wonder when I sat down to write the book, I was thinking, gosh, I wish I had blogged all along. You know, when Skylar was diagnosed back in uh, 2006, there wasn't really Facebook. I'm sure it was there, but I wasn't privy to it. I didn't know the first thing. I never even heard of blogs or any of that stuff. Um, and seeing people like Kate and, and, and you and all of the blogs that have been going for a long time, I kind of wish that I had shared our story back then. But then a part of me was like, well, if I had done that, maybe I wouldn't have had the content for the book. And I think I struggle with that now blogging is I feel like I need to start present day and, and blog about now instead of going back. Because if people have read my book, they're like, I already know all of that. Like you're blogging the same stuff. So I don't, do you wrestle with content ever? And like, you know, you've shared so much that you struggle to come up with new things to talk about. There always seems to be something to write about in this madhouse. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I sometimes wish I had blogged first. So my publisher said, I'll publish this book, but I will not do it unless you start to blog regularly and you get on on social media. And I kind of was resistant, but I started to blog. 
I wished I had blogged first, maybe because my voice just changed so much. I mean, that book is now almost nine years old. And, and it's sort of a little book that can, like it keeps chugging along and finding its niche. But I, I'm a stronger writer now. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I read somewhere that said it's really hard to blog and write a book at the same time. Because you're yeah, putting your imagine. material somewhere. Yeah. I don't ever, I, I rarely struggle with coming up with something to write about. I, mm-hmm. I have just sort of this process. I publish every Monday. I publish today. Tomorrow I'll start thinking, ah, what's he up to? How, yeah, yeah. it is very relevant to mm-hmm. the day. Like the t- timing is, is very present day for me. Um, and I love it so much. So I don't, uh, I haven't had, you know, I'm sure that day will come. Well, maybe not. I mean, they've still got a lot of years to, to experience new things and to live, you know, I, I just love the honesty in all of your writing. Um, you know, I, I try not to hold anything back either because I think people want to know, they don't want the, sh- the, you know, sugar coated, you know, colorful and enjoyable, like, Oh, autism is fun. It's, it's a blessing. It's, <laughs> it's not always there are moments, but it's like, it's really hard. And I want people, to, I don't want pity or sympathy. I just want people to understand like your example with the man and the dog. If you see us out, don't run from us. Don't stare at us. Like, you know, engage in conversation ask me questions if you want to but I think yeah as an advocate like my role my work is to is to normalize it a little bit and Mm -hmm. and to um create a comfortable space for everybody not just Mm -hmm. Jack but for everybody out there and um I think for me I write mostly about autism a little bit about marriage if I'm in the mood and (laughs) (laughs) yeah and um (laughs) I think that people, just mothers in general, whether it's neurotypical or um, diagnosed kiddos can relate to the fear we all have about all of our kids. I think, you know, autism just magnifies it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, are you working on any other books or any other big talks in the works? Um, your TEDx talk was one of my favorites. I really liked your take on it. I know you've said that um, necessarily writing a letter to Jack and, and presenting it that way wasn't their initial, like they were, you weren't agreeable to that at first and that you persuaded them. And I'm glad you did because I think that's the best way. It's so hard to do a talk and talk about your child instead of sharing uh, in a way that people can, can be brought into it and feel it, you know? So I loved it. I think well, it was thank great. You. I do think with, whether it's writing or speaking, I refuse to report. Like right. my, I am committed to bringing him to life in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I do that almost every time I speak to people, I do a, a letter of some sort. And I remember this, this great big guy came up to me at the end of the a talk I did in um, Albany, New York. And he had, he had tears coming down and he said, it's like, I can just see him. Yeah. I just hear him and see him. So that validates me that it is, you know, so you have to just be willing to argue for what you think is, is the right way to do it. Yeah. I think it's important too. I mean, whether our books or our writing that people that don't know me can picture my son, they can picture my life, my everyday. I was very adamant about that. Um, you know, and my publisher was all on board too, of just showing so much. And sometimes I worry, is there too much detail? But I don't think there is. I mean, I think you, 
can't over explain the, the, the scenarios that we go through with the hitting and the banging and the just whatever so that yeah. people go, wow, I wouldn't even have thought of that. So well, there's a great phrase called show, don't tell, you mm -hmm. know, and so that's really how people can relate to your work and take something from it. So I, I work hard at that. Yeah. Well, you do an excellent job. <laughs> well, now that Jack is, um, you know, getting older and um, we're around the corner in April, Skylar turns 18 and I've already started the social security paperwork and we have to think about guardianships. Are those the type of things that um, are top of mind for you or is it not really? I mean, it's really hard to future plan and to think about those things, but we have to do it eventually. So I didn't know yeah. if that's something on your radar or not really. It, oh, it really is. I'm looking at the paperwork is over on my desk. I don't do paperwork. I hate paperwork. <laughs> if there's anything I will push off, which is so ironic because if anything accompanies a diagnosed child, it's a trail of paperwork that you oh, yeah. get rid of. Uh, yeah, I, we are about to embark upon that process. And, and I've written this before and I'll just say it again, it will break him. I know that. And I, so we're starting the baby steps of preparation, you know, but he just for medical issues alone, I, we need to have guardianship. Um, and, you know, he's working and it's really sweet and he got a paycheck and then he went onto Amazon and he bought like $50 of mints, you know, so like, <laughs> like, person, mint, like candies, like mints, mint, mentos. We're like, what do you do? <laughs> so well, as we've been about, you know, people will say, well, why can't he live alone? He can cough hundred percent. But if the doorbell rang, he might run out of the house screaming or uh, any kind of change to the day. So yeah, that is, that's more on our radar than ever before. What the years following high school will look like. He is on track to um, graduate with a degree to, you know, that fits his diagnosis, a high school degree. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, you know, there's some programs in the area that um, kind of simulate college for kids like Jack, like they have a lot of scaffolding in place. And we were supposed to do one this past summer, but that fell apart with the pandemic. But that's on our radar to begin, take up again and see if, you know, there's a program out there that could continue what this school has already started. That's so incredible. I mean, I, I'm in the process of just kind of doing another initiative of looking at all 50 states to see who has what and what's in place for post 22 year olds. And it's pretty frightening. Um, frightening. There's just nothing, especially for um, young adults as severe as, as my son who can't hold a job. Um, and I'm pretty confident of that, but he shouldn't have to sit home on the couch every day with his parents either. I mean, we have jobs and things to do. And it's, it just makes me very, very sad that there's so many young adults that hit that magic age of 22 and then all their current services are like, see ya. I just really read an article about that. <laughs> I, like, think, I, I think in the coming years, we're gonna have to get creative about how we fill in that gap. I don't know what that looks like, but I mm -hmm. can't imagine that can go on forever. Yeah. So would you guys have a conversation? It sounds like you, you would have a conversation with Jack about what a guardianship means and what it doesn't mean. Um, and because he is understanding and verbal and all of that, um, I think that would be an interesting um, concept. I would love to be able to explain it to Skylar and I will, and I, I will walk him through everything that we're doing. And I know he understands what I'm saying. I would just love to hear his response to me 
that he understands like, you know, that we're not just the boss of him for his life. And it's not like we're taking the control forever. Um, that he understands that we just want to protect him and that he's not taken advantage of and those type of things that yeah, sadly happens a lot. <laughs> So. Well, it's a huge piece of taking advantage because Jack is so susceptible to advertising and he's so easily persuaded that it, we do have to safeguard him. I mean, emotionally, he's probably closer to eight years old. And yes, I, I have get, I'm, I'm starting to give it thought as if I start to sort of weave it into our, you know, everyday life. Like, oh, Jack, you know, when you're 18, we're going to have to go do this. Or if I just, you know, drop it on him. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and it'll come up so much. That's what's crazy too, is anytime you go to the doctor after that or whatever, they say, are you his guardian? And I'm like, mm, I'm his mom, but yes, I'm also you know, responsible for paying the bill or whatever the case is. But when people start throwing that word around in place of mom, like I'm his guardian, it's weird. It's like my role all of a sudden shifts too. And people look at me I don't know. I feel like they look at me differently. Like I'm just in charge of his finances and his, yeah. you know, his well-being. I can even consider that aspect. He is Jack is not going to be down with that. <laughs> no, he probably will say, this is my mom. Yeah. The other thing we did wrong, we did a lot of things wrong, but we named him John. And so he goes by Jack. And so anytime we're like, I'm already sweating when we have to go in front of the, you know, you have to go in front of a judge and they'll be like, John Cariello, or he'll be like, no. Nobody here by that name. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they will ask questions. I guess that's the one thing. Um, they, I don't even know. Our attorney said, I don't even know if Skylar will need to be there. Okay. Or if, even if the court is open right now, it might be Zoom. But I mean, based on the doctor's report that he can't respond to okay. questions, it's pointless for the judge to say, do you understand that your mom will be your guardian? And <laughs> he'd probably be like, can we go? Like, I gotta go. This is dumb. <laughs> I want to sit here. Oh, Lord. Well, um, just to kind of wrap up, um, you know, since our children are on the older side of the spectrum, they're not newly diagnosed um, anymore. That seems ages ago. Um, I often reflect back on things that I should have done differently or could have done differently. And I know we all do that and we shouldn't because, you know, we didn't know any better. But is there anything that you would tell your younger self or maybe somebody that's just getting started on this journey with the five and the six-year-olds um, that are just beating themselves up about future planning and they're trying to you know, predict when their child's gonna do this and that and everything. And can you maybe shed some light on <laughs> now that we're on the other side seemingly that, um, you know, that can help them? Yeah, I wrote a piece about this not long ago, just the, looking back and thinking how, how much I wish it wasn't always about the diagnosis when he was little, because that really took up so much brain space for me. My relationship with him completely changed because then it was like, what can I get him to do? What can I teach him? Where can I introduce some progress? And there was very little playfulness to our relationship. And I would, you know, looking back, it would not have stunted us in any way if I just said, today, we're not going to worry about that, mm -hmm. or I'm not going to uh, research everything to the nth degree. I did learn over time that the internet is not our friend with a diagnosed child. <laughs> and I yeah. learned over time how to sift out the ridiculousness, but that was a bit of a, like a learning curve for sure. I think, I, I mean, I, I always longed for that crystal ball. And the truth is, I said it earlier, we are just on autism's timeline. And uh, 
the advice I give when I'm asked that is often has nothing to do with autism. I say, go out with your husband or your wife regularly. Um, find something that lights you up inside. Mm-hmm. Yoga, writing, running, something that is just for you. Take up a hobby. You have to grow yourself outside of autism's parentheses. Otherwise, this child never will either. Mm-hmm. So that was valuable. Also, don't read anything about autism unless it's like our blogs or our books. Then you should read <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) that's true. And I know you've said before, and I agree so much that it's the small milestones that we take for granted. I I stumbled across when I was writing a a blog and I was pulling up old pictures um, to reference it. And I found pictures, Skylar used to walk almost like in a tripod on his head. So he never crawled. He had his forehead down on the floor and his two feet and he would look between his legs at a toy and then he would back, you know, back himself. It's just the weirdest thing because he couldn't walk. He couldn't walk until he was about three because his, you know, motor skills were just so delayed, but I wanted so badly for him to walk. And that's all I focused on. It was his PT. And then, you know, now all I want is him to talk. And I don't realize until I look back at old videos and pictures he is almost 18. He has accomplished enormous amounts of things. And I, when he doesn't speak or doesn't do something that I want him to do right now, I forget how long it took his body and his mind to get to where he is now. And I, I wish I had savored in those moments so much longer instead of going, okay, great. You can walk. Now let's do that thing. You know, I'm over that. So yeah, Jack said a word and I wanted a sentence. It was sort of which, you know, there has to be some balance, I would guess. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to forget how hard this is for them. Yeah. It's hard for us. It is a day-to-day trial for them. Mm-hmm. And they do it fearlessly. And I, you know, I've recently begun to just admire him greatly for that. Yeah. Well, he's a dynamic individual. I love his smile and he's <laughs> He's so handsome. I'm anxious to hear all the big things that he's doing, you know, post high school. And I know you'll be writing about it <laughs> or speaking about it. But um, yeah, I love following your journey. And um, I'll link up every way people can follow you. But your Facebook page is as um, what color is Monday, right? Yes. And that's your blog as well that they can read there. Perfect. Thank you so much, Carrie. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.